the Hit the Light podcast featuring Big Frog and Michael Castleberry is on the air. Covering classic metal and comedy from San Diego, California. So now sit tight and hit the light. The Hit the Light podcast is recorded live and uncensored. Big Frog in particular is not politically correct, so please don't be offended. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hit the Light podcast with me, Big Frog, and... And I am your clinically depressed, heroin-addicted, uh, reluctant rock star, Mike Castleberry. All right. And what are we talking about today, Big Frog? The 90s. The 90s. So, oh. so your, uh, your term for yourself is appropriate. <laughs> because the 90s were nuts. It was... The 90s are a very... Very interesting decade, mm-hmm. I think, overall. Um, for me, especially, because that was, like, my decade, you know? Right. That was that was my teenage years. That right. was high school. That's That was my coming of age. So now I'm at that point where I, you know, I just turned 38, and there's, like, TV shows now that will do flashback episodes to when the characters were young, and then it's, like, my senior year of high school. Right. It's, like... And I get kind of excited about it because yeah. it's like, yeah, if my wife was watching a show and they did a flashback and it was 1999, you know, right. and it was like I immediately remembered being a senior. It was, you know, the the character's brother in it was really excited about the new Star Wars movie coming right. out and wouldn't right. shut the fuck up about it. Like he went and took... He took his uh, girlfriend on a date to go see uh, Meet Joe Black so he could see the Star Wars preview when it was right. going on before it. And I was right. like, I remember all of this so vividly. You know, I went and saw Star Wars multiple times with my friends in the movie theater. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's. Uh, so it sounds of, like it was an awesome time. It was, yeah, for me. And yeah. the other thing about Because for some people, it's. They, some people hate high school and anything that has to do with that because. It was a shitty time for them yeah, or whatever. No, high school was fun for me. Yeah. You know, I fucked around a lot, and I probably should have fucked around a lot less because, right. you know, I didn't graduate on time. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. But I have pretty much nothing but good memories for the most part. You know, I had a good group of friends, and, you know, I had my garage band right. and shit like that. And, you know, it was... Yeah. good you know, shit. How bad, you know... I know everybody's experience is different. Right. But how fucking bad could it really be to be a teenager in San Diego? You know? You know? I found, like everything else, it has to do with what your expectations are. You know? Mm-hmm. If you expect to have this and that, and 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 then you don't get it for whatever reason, yeah. then you, you can get bitter about it, you know? Um... To to me, I, I just think like everybody. If you don't if you don't blow it up so much that you that you expect everything to be super super awesome, then you should pretty much be satisfied most of the time. Yeah, know? and it's yeah it's funny because at the time I mean at the time there, there were some things that were more difficult than others that they always talk about. Oh, these are the best years of your life and right. this and that. And it's to some people like, oh, I hope this isn't the best years of my life because they suck now. And right. it's like, yeah, well, you know what? It might it kinda, get worse it, then. It, it might get worse for you because <laughs> for me, it's in some ways, my 30s have been my best years, though. Like, I, that's when I got into stand up and I met my wife and right. I, you know, I 
actually got a job that's stable and so things are going well for me in my 30s right my 20s are fucking like yeah i was just doing nothing like i was like underemployed you know i was you know getting drunk by the reservoir right (laughs) right right like just that east county white trash shit and Mm. like just not fucking doing anything with myself and having like but it's kind of like for high school it's like there's all that cool shit that you get you actually are old enough to do and Mm -hmm. enjoy for the most part and then, you know, you don't have the responsibilities. Like, your right. responsibility is, like, getting homework done. Yeah. And not, which I didn't fucking do, which is right. why I didn't get a diploma until I was 21. Right. <laughs> yeah. But. That yeah, wasn't big on homework. Either. Yeah, but, you know, it was like, now it's, I'm back in school and this and that. So not I have homework, but I also have bills. Mm-hmm. So it's like. That's where it's like, you know, I'm I'm enjoying my 30s, what's left of them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's, you know, much more responsibility. Right. Like, you know, I, I have to make sure, like, I don't fuck up at my job and end up homeless. Or, exactly. Or do something to piss my wife off as she divorces me. There's a lot of shit to worry about. Homeless. <laughs> right. But the 90s, though, to get back to what we're originally talking about. You know, it's very much like, I mean, every decade has, you know, their phases, you know, the 80s was like, for a minute there, it was all that new wave and Mm -hmm, shit, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. the hair metal came in, and that was blowing up, and that was the big popular thing. Right. Well, then, you know, with the 90s, alt-rock just took the fuck off, and it was like, it was pretty much the 80s hangover at that point. Right. Like, everybody, like, you know, it's like what we were talking about before, uh, where you're saying, like, there was that, you know, originally there was that huge backlash against disco, and mm-hmm. it was more against the lifestyle, and mm-hmm. then the eight, the night, you know, the 90s came along, and it was, boom, you're done, hair metal. Like, everybody, yeah. like, everybody that was fucking successful, Poison, Rat, you know, yeah. all those bands were... Just on their last legs. They got yeah. slapped the fuck down. Right. And, like, Poison managed to, like, pop back up in the 2000s. Right. As, as, a, as a nostalgia yeah. act, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and there's a couple of bands that, they, you know, Rat is still sort of a thing. Right. Um, Motley Crue's getting back together to do uh, some I'm, songs for the movie that's coming out or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when I saw that because when it's just like Motley Crue is going to cut a couple new songs and yeah. my initial reaction was why? Yeah. Like you you said literally everything you had to say right. at this point. Right. Like I can't even remember the last time they even actually had an album. Yeah. And, um, and nobody in the band is as good as they were. Mm-mm. So it's really. It's I like, mean, what's the point? Like, yeah. you know, fucking Mick Mars looks like he's about to die at any right. given moment. Right. But yeah, that was just like that whole scene all of a sudden just collapsed in on yeah. itself. And, you know, they always. You can blame, you know, people like to blame like Nirvana right. and shit like that. But it's, right. I think it's more. After a while, it was so plastic and so fake, right? And it was just a bunch of a bunch of bands that looked and sound the same, mm-hmm. and 
it would it just got old and it got overdone and then and it, and it wasn't serious yeah and people wanted to be serious all of a sudden yeah you know? well here's you know, it's kind of funny because I think part of it it's a reflection of the politics of the time and the economy of the time because the 80s were a boom period mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. everybody you know was people, doing okay people yeah. were doing better than they they had been for a while especially after the 70s mm-hmm. so it was fucking the party decade right and then a recession hit right. right at the beginning of the 90s. And it's like, what are you motherfuckers so happy yeah. about? And all of a sudden, all the mopey-ass bands right. uh, start getting radio play. And people are connecting with that. Right. And, you know, it's kind of funny because if you look at the very, very beginning of the mm. 90s, there's still this, like, residual kind of 80s thing going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you still had, like, MC Hammer popped up and he was, like... You know, it was like 1990, but it yeah. was still very much that kind of vibe. Totally. And then, you know. And then that was it for that. Yeah. And then, like, you know, uh, Warrant, I think, still had some shit out. Because I remember the Cherry Pie video being on pretty heavy rotation in, like, around 1990 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't get the memo yet. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, Nirvana just bursts on the scene right and it's just something that it's like oh it's still fun but it's something that seems a little more authentic to people right let's you know they can relate a little bit more to this guy that Mm -hmm. seems like he doesn't really want to be a rock star and he and Teenage angst really plays well, man. Like, yeah, especially, and he wrote the songs. Yeah, so there was a connection. Yeah, between you know, it's funny, man, because for me, like, you know, in the eighties, it was um, there was like an innocence, you know, mm-hmm. about about the music. Like, you know, when you when I heard something like um, like. Like, whole lot of love, for example. Mm-hmm. Or there is like you know, that whole lot of love. You know, yeah. and and at that time, I was I thought, okay, only Jimmy Page can do that. I've never, <laughs> you know, I've never heard anybody else yeah. do that. So obviously, only Jimmy Page can do that. Come to find out later on that that sound isn't even in the live versions yeah. of the of the thing. You know, but. It was, you know, to me, like, man, it was obviously nobody can play the bass like Steve Harris because yeah. only Steve Harris does that, you know. By the 90s, I was in a band. I knew a million dudes who could play all that shit. Yeah. There was no uh, inkling that any of it was really special. You had to really yeah. look deep, deep, deep into, into something to see what made it different from the millions of people that could impersonate yeah. it. Well, I would say, well, with Steve Harris especially, um, there's a lot of people that can play that shit. Right. I always think of it this way. It's the difference between Eddie Van Halen and someone that learned how to play like Eddie Van Halen. Right. Like, you you can learn to play the bass like Steve Harris, but you can't, you know, you He's got a very, more than a lot of bass players, he's got a very, very unique 
bass sound. And oh, everything. for sure. So it's kind of that's what that's the thing that's always funny to me that you know stands out to me when people talk about Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about the bass more for than sure. anything else. For sure, it's. And then yeah. later on, increasingly, also the drums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the bo- just the rhythm section in general. You know, right. Because, um, you know, like stuff like the Trooper and everything, like the bass and drums just complement each other mm-hmm. so fucking perfectly and just drive that song mm-hmm. by more than a lot of acts at that time. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny because of, you know, the 90s though it's very much a that was kind of like a dead time for a lot of metal it was dead time for me because like I okay first of all I was in a band so I was like still listening to the bands that I was listening to before I got into a band yeah and I was still going to shows and stuff like that because I could get into a lot of shows for free and I wanted to be part of the scene. Yeah. Just like kind of like now when you yeah. have to go to, to uh, certain things. You just got to go you hang know? out with yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 that was, uh, so that was a point of that, but I wasn't really buying albums. You know, I was heavily on drugs for most of the 90s, so yeah. I didn't have a lot of money for any of, any of that type of shit. And I was jaded as far as um, as far as I thought a lot of that shit was bullshit mm-hmm. you know I did not believe that grunge was a thing you know <laughs> because like to me like you know I mean obviously being into heavy metal you're you're uh, acquainted with the subgenres of things or yeah. whatever right but death metal meant it sounds like this it looks like this and it's about this yeah. There was none of that for grunge, other no. than it's from Seattle. Yeah. Basically, was, and they wear, like, flannels. Yeah, there was a wide range of styles yeah. that, that got thrown in with grunge, because Nirvana doesn't sound like Pearl Jam, no. which doesn't sound like Soundgarden, right. you know, which doesn't sound like Stone Temple Pilots. Right. Doesn't, you know? Yeah. Now, I had I had my own reasons for not liking almost all of those bands. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it, it, I would just sum it up with, that's gay, you know? But there was really a lot more to it than that. I always, like, I thought, um, and this is, and again, when I say that I don't like something, it doesn't really mean that I don't like it. Mm-hmm. What it means is that I don't love it, and I'm not going to buy it and and tell people about it. Yeah. It's, it's still, I would still go... Even if they were, even if they were nobodies, yeah. if a band that sounded like Nirvana was playing at the Del Mar Fair for yeah. whatever, would I would be standing right there watching it? You'd check they, it out. Yeah, yeah, I would think it was it was a trip. It was cool. Yeah. It was whatever. But you know, when I'm try, when somebody's trying to tell me that this is the greatest band in the world, right? Yeah. And I'm saying, yeah, dude, you know, maybe uh, maybe lyrics with like more than one syllable, you know, I, I don't know, yeah. you know, so I always had, you know, I, I thought, I thought Eddie Vedder had like super fake angst. I didn't think it was real. I still, you know, I, I well, he's the only one that's still alive yeah, of those so singers. So probably, probably, you know, but so I have, but I did like, um, Alice in Chains. I liked, uh, I liked Stone Temple Pilots. All right. I like Soundgarden. Okay. 
you know, I, they were kind of Sabbathy and some yeah. of the stuff, you know. So I like some of those bands. It's just that I, I didn't really like buy the album and dissect it and play it all the way through. The only band from those days that I really, really, really was into was Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. You know, I was into that shit. And even though, I mean, I don't even know what you would call that music. Um, it's, I guess any, anything other than that is alternative yeah. of some type. Well, that's, that, I think that's why the, you know, the alt-rock label kind of stuck over mm-hmm. time. Because, like, the grunge thing was, you know, it's it was an all-encompassing thing. Right. It's really, it, it's just, you call it alternative rock. And I think it was, it was, I think the the moniker took off because it was kind of based off of the the visual presentation. Right. You know, they're oh they're all grungy looking. Right. That kind of deal. Exactly. Whereas, you know, kinda of like you know, with hair metal. It's Yeah. That's what it ended up being called as a derogatory term. Right. You know, it was it was pop metal. Yeah. Is what it was. Yeah, it's, totally. And there was a lot of different bands that got thrown under that ban, you know, that banner. Some bands that really didn't deserve it, mm-hmm. too. That mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, like we talked about before, like uh, Cinderella. Right. They, had a they lot, were more of a blues rock yeah, band. Yeah. They had a lot more substance to their shit. But yeah, at that time, you kind of had to look a certain way yeah. to get signed and get on MTV. So they had that look. Right. And, and then they followed the formula of, okay, you have the power ballad single and this and that. So then when it was time to clean out the closet yeah. and just discard all things hair metal, bands that probably didn't deserve that treatment got swept in with that also. Sure. And all of a sudden their career was pretty much done. Right. Like, these guys, yeah, they fucking, they still do stuff as nostalgia acts now. Yeah. Because they fucking have to. Like... None yeah, of these guys, there's no retirement plan. Yeah, they didn't make things, enough money things. to really retire comfortably on. Right. And then when, you know, especially if you got in on the ground floor of that that phase, mm-hmm. you know, like Poison or Motley yeah. Crew or something, maybe you got, you know, you built up enough money if you right. were smart. And most of these motherfuckers weren't because no, they, they were partying they, like the party motherfuckers. Was, the party yeah. was never going to end. But right. if somehow. Yeah. You might have made enough to yeah. get by, but if you got in, if you blew up on MTV in 1990 or 1989, um, it was short lived. It was short lived. Yeah. Unless you were Guns N' Roses, for Unless whatever you're... reason, Guns N' Roses survived the 90s. Well, you know what? Well, I mean, sort of. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, better than most of these other. No, I mean, they survived it in the sense that. People weren't like, ooh, fuck Guns N' Roses. Yeah. It's just the band imploded. In yeah. Like well, yeah. 1993. Because they were real, they were rock stars, man. Yeah. I mean, they were fucking, you know, in well, all the good ways and in all the bad ways. You, well, that's the thing, though, with Guns N' Roses. I know you're not a huge GNR fan. Um, I, I dig them. Um, right. I, when I say I really, really like Guns N' Roses, I generally just mean I like Appetite for Destruction a lot. Right. Because they use your... Illusion albums were fucking Axl Rose jerking himself off. Yeah. Really, like they didn't need a two albums, right? With you know, forty fucking songs between them <laughs> and two versions of "Don't Cry." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but there was the fact with Guns and Roses. Um, 
they I think they escaped it because one Welcome to the Jungle they did have that this is the only time you the see hairspray with yeah. the big ass hair yeah but they did not really followed it wasn't that bubblegum like yeah Yay, we're all partying music yeah that no they had songs of, they were about something yeah, yeah guns and roses was out there just fucking causing a ruckus and right just, like you said just being fucking rock stars and they had that of a significantly more dangerous vibe to them compared to poison or oh for rap sure or warrant or anything like and it's that unpredictability. It's like, you know, you have all these other bands that were like, we were having a good time. And then you have Guns N' Roses out there and you never know if Axel is going to fucking have the best concert you've ever seen or yeah. punch you in the face for yeah. taking a picture. They'll come out three hours late. Yeah. Yeah. But they managed to survive. I mean, yeah, they had some big hits right mm-hmm. there in the early 90s when they, right when that kind of was seeing its way out. Right. You know, I don't think... Nirvana had quite, but it, they they intersected because mm-hmm. I remember on like the MTV Awards and stuff like that that um, Axl Rose and uh, Kurt Cobain got into it. Oh, really? For a thing because um, Kurt was uh, <laughs> Kurt was fucking with them over something. Like I guess Axl didn't like Nirvana. He for whatever reason because Axl Rose was being full blown Axl Rose. Right. And um, Kurt was getting, uh, he was being interviewed, and uh, he was with Courtney Love or something, and Axl Rose was walking by, and then he's like, oh, hey, Axl Rose is walking by, and um, he's like, I don't think, apparently he doesn't like me or something, so there's an interview with Kurt, and he's like, hey, Axl! Hey, Axel, will you be the godfather of my daughter? And then Axel, like, flipped them off and all this shit. And then later they got into an argument. And then when Nirvana performed, um, Chris Novacelic, the bassist, at the end of the song was like, Hey, Axel, hey. Oh, jeez. And that was their whole thing where uh, they went very, that whole Performance. This is why uh, the thing I liked about Nirvana is because as much as they acted like they didn't want to be rock stars, mm-hmm. they fucking acted like rock stars. But they did it in that more punk way of, you know, like, fuck authority, which people get behind because they they told them they wanted them to play Smells Like Teen Spirit. Right. That's your big hit. Play that. And they're like, right. I don't want to play Smells Like Teen Spirit. We're, right. we're bored of playing that song. Yeah. And then they were working on their next album. So so Kurt is like, well, we have a song we're working on, Rape Me. Um, it's going to be on our next album whenever we finish it. We want to play that. Mm-hmm. And MTV was like, absolutely fucking yeah, not. You're no. not going on stage and playing a song called, called Rape, Rape Me. Me. So they agreed to play uh, Lithium. Right. I believe it was. Right. And... Uh, but when they go on stage, um, Kurt starts the first few, first bit of Rape Me. Right. And starts singing it a little bit and right. then goes into Lithium. Yeah. So they said, like, the people in the, you know, on MTV, when they see this, because they go, okay, they agreed to play another hit off their song. Right. And it's like, dun, 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 rape me. Yeah. 
rape me, my friend. They're like, these motherfuckers. Right. And then they went into the actual song they agreed, and they're like, oh, shit, thank God. And yeah. Chris Novichok was trying to be a cool rock star at the at one point in the song where he throws his bass in the air. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do the throw the bass in the air and catch it. Like, you know, when you see back of the day, like guitars would throw the guitar up. Right. And he misjudged it and his bass hit him square in the forehead. Uh. And he had to finish the song bleeding out of his head. And then he's like, hey, Axel, afterwards, like bleeding. Oh, and geez. And it's like, you know, that that kind of shit spoke to me when I was a teenager. Right, for sure. <laughs> you know? For sure. All right, now, now I'm looking through this list here, and there are some bands that that uh, came out in the 90s mm-hmm. that, you know, were you ever big into Slipknot? <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> no, I'm, I missed the boat on new Metal. <laughs> yeah, man. See, I, I, um, there used to be this dude that worked at, at uh, I used to work at a pharmacy in, in North Park, and this dude used to work with me, and he, like, knew what kind of music I liked. So he would always like, hey, come out, come out to my car and listen to this. Come out to my car and listen yeah. to that. And it would be like Slipknot or like um, uh, other bands that, that I did not know at the time, like um, Korn and mm-hmm. shit like that. And I was just like, again, thinking to myself, well, this is better than some things, you know? Yeah. But... I just, you know, because again, I don't really like, I don't tend to like the mixing of things. Yeah. You know, I like the purity of each thing. Not, you know? not a big fan of the rap rock. Not like, really. Except it, for Rage Against the Machine. Except for Rage Against the Machine. And that's because I felt like it had a purpose, you know, and, it, and, it, and that was a good avenue for that. But other than that, it's like, yeah, no, not really, you know. Um... What else was coming out during that time? Oh, Disturbed. Did you ever get into that? Nah. The, Disturbed really gets... It's one of them bands. There is... That, I, like I said, I completely missed the boat with new Metal. Right. It was, you know... When I got into Metal, it was when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So I'd already been into like the alt-rock thing. And then I started getting into Metal... And then I started hanging out with, like, my metalhead friends. Right. And since metal was kind of in a very big downswing, because not only did, like, those hair bands get kind of, like, knocked out, like, a lot of just metal acts. Like, Judas, you know, it was a a weird time, you know? know, Iron Maiden Mm -hmm. had Blaze Bailey singing Mm -hmm, from. mm -hmm. Judas Priest had Ripper in a singing from so there's like the big bands had like replacement singers and even motley crew for a minute there had a another guy yeah yeah um, and a girl drummer for a minute too yeah so it was you know there was just this this period where the big metal acts yeah were just not really hitting or not you know not doing as well as they used to with the exception of what somehow managed to survive it was like bands like Metallica mm-hmm. because they were always a lot more raw than, you know, these band, these other more polished bands in the 80s that mm-hmm. seemed to fall out of favor. So when they were falling off, Metallica blew up with the Black Album. And when Metallica blew up to the extent they did, it kind of, 
you know, it's you know, it's funny because uh, you know, as much as the big four talk shit about each other for so long, you know, mm-hmm. a rising tide, you know, raises all boats. So, of course. So Metallica blowing up to the extent they did, right? In turn, gave more success to like Megadeth and mm-hmm. Slayer and stuff. Like they they caught. Even yeah, because more, they get mentioned in the same breath. Yeah, so yeah. then when, you know, the biggest band in the world, it's like, hey, you know, uh, the this, this lead singer for Megadeth used to play guitar in Metallica. What? Oh, oh let's check, check that, that out. out. Yeah. You know, let's see what that's like. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that becomes like that, like that led that in so like the thrash bands were getting a little bit more more love and right. the funny thing is is around that time that's when Metallica completely changed their their right. sound and direction for a while there yeah but you know they managed that's kind of how they managed to survive that thing it was you know all of a sudden that's like I said when I was a teenager until I kind of went back and listened to it again as I got older at the time Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Dio, mm. all that was just like old news. It was like yeah. they were just kind of like, oh, that was that eighties shit, right? You know, and, right? And, and that's not cool anymore. But at the same time, we're all listening to Sabbath and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But it, so it's like this weird thing where it's like, oh, all these bands in the seventies were legit as fuck, right? And sick. And then these bands came in the eighties, and it was all high-ass voice singers and too much polish and it was just <clears throat> it was it's it was dated. different yeah. it was dated by the time the 90s roll around right and not but old then, enough to be cool still. yeah yeah then then you're listening to uh to metallica and shit like that and that's cool right so a lot of 80s shit was like that was that old lame shit for us you know right. You know, for me, it was like... It's like, what the fuck is Holy Diver about, you know? Right. True. For, for I'm almost 40, and I still don't know what that fucking song is about. Yeah. Like, it's, and it's the fact that I know Dio likes to work in kind of abstracts with for his sure. lyrics. But it's almost like it's like weirdly self-referential on that point when it's just like holy diver yeah. you can see his stripes but you know he's clean yeah. and like that kind of shit it's like don't you see what I mean no yeah yeah really <laughs> ride the tiger you know? yeah yeah yeah, but yeah my friend my friend Rodney um, he he uh, he came up with this one and it was one of those I mean this was before I was doing any Comedy, but I mean, I was always doing comedy, just yeah. not whatever. So this was one that I wished I had said at the time. Mm. And he was like, we were uh, listening to Dio or something, and it was, uh, <clears throat> lost my home to the shadows of the night. And Rodney was like, fucking hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I was just like, ah! Yeah, awesome. because, you know, I mean, yeah. It's always the worst, but yeah. <laughs> But, you know, the like, the funny thing, too, about the 90s, um, like I was saying, it's very much, it's like a tale of two, it's almost like two decades in one. Right. Because the early to mid-90s, just musically and culturally and everything else are so fucking different yeah. than the second half of the decade. Like, 
it's like they get reflected the recession and this and that. So when the economy was down and the Bush years and everybody's mm-hmm. just like, Ugh. and then all of a sudden like the tech boom took off and everything else mm-hmm. under Bill Clinton. And you had like the cool president getting his dick sucked and shit. Like right. That, you know, all of a sudden. Playing like, a saxophone on fucking Arsenio. Yeah. Yeah. The, the later half of the 90s, like that, gr- even the grunge thing. Went away pretty quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of those bands. I mean, everybody fucking OD'd or killed themselves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> early that on. was rough. But uh, you know, the bands that did kind of come out of that, and they they just stick around. But yeah, the whole grunge movement was very short lived when you yeah. really break it down. Like it was done by like '95. Yep. You had a couple bands like Bush hang around that were very kind of like post-grunge derivative of right the bands that came before but you know alt rock was starting to go in a different direction and it was a lot more upbeat sounding mm-hmm. and you know as far as like culturally overall like all of a sudden it was just like boy bands were blowing up and right. then if metal was getting big it was bands like Korn yeah. and you know those new metal bands that were popping up right. that I did not fuck with at all like right. I, yes. my friends I had friends that were super into Korn right me too you know cause they're, I was a teenager in the 90s like people get into Korn and yeah. Marilyn Manson and all that and I dug Marilyn Manson a bit right but Korn just I did not get into it. Like I was like, there's no fucking solos. Like that was a big bummer for me. <laughs> you know, and I still I mean that's the thing, is I still liked, you know, yeah guitar shredding. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like when my friends were like into that, I was like, eh. Yeah. I don't like this shit at all. For us, man, it was weird because it was like we're we were um we were in a band that's genre seemed to be over right because we're very iron maiden sounding you know and that was like i said it's i mean literally appeared to be on its last legs i never would have thought back then that iron maiden would still be touring now and filling you know arenas yeah never would have thought that i thought it was like almost over and we didn't know what to do and then there was the harsh realities of the time where people are trying to tell you, well, you got to do this. You got to change it up. You got to do that, you know, and, and almost like, you know, doing comedy is the same thing. People, well, you need to, you know, you need to have some clean material. You need to uh, do this so you can do corporate, you know, whatever yeah. it is. It's the same shit. And they, and they were telling, but we were like, fuck I don't want to do that. Yeah, we were like, fuck that. We're just going to play this. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't yeah, work. Whatever, I got You know, but we were happy when Metallica started started killing it again and yeah. you know we were like fuck yeah this okay we have a, a chance again yeah. you know what I mean but um, yeah man the, the 90s were rough for for traditional heavy metal yeah you know um, what kind what uh, what comedians were you watching in those days in God, the 90s in the 90s what comedians are I, was I well um it had, to, it had to be pretty early in your comedic thoughts. Yeah. Uh, well, I would. Just, I think I had mentioned this before. I would sneak out at night and listen to like, and just watch Deaf Comedy Jam. Right. 
So I couldn't tell you a lot of the comics that were on it, just that I thought they were funny. Right. And it was like, that's when I kind of realized, like, when I was watching Def Comedy Jam, I was like, man, black people are fucking funny. That was kind of my thought process as I watched it, because it was all, you know, for the most part, black comics. I think they'd occasionally have, like, an urban Yeah, they'd have white a, comic. a white dude that could hang. You, you know, know, for a, and but, usually a weird act of some type. Yeah, but it was like I was watching that. So that's the thing is, you know, for me, like I grew up in Spring Valley. I grew up in the La Presa area of Spring Valley. So yeah. for me, like white people were actually kind of the minority in my right. neighborhood. Yeah. So when people always like talk about, you know, like, oh, you're the dorky white guy, this and that. It's like, yeah, but, you know, like. Most of my friends were like Mexican and like I, you know, I, right. I knew them all like pre Vato, like <laughs> right, <laughs> before right. they started going down that, that, that yeah. route. Yeah, but, it happens at different times for different people. But because I knew most of these cats from like when we were kids, like when they end up getting into the street shit, like they didn't fuck with me. Right. Like nobody really fucked with me. Your like, grandfather did. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of dudes like that. Like, I still remember uh, one time me and a friend of mine were walking by. We're, we're just walking up the street and we're walking by a friend of ours' place. And um, some dudes that didn't really know us came out and they started saying some shit like they wanted to fucking start something. Because, you know, it was a couple of fucking white dudes walking around, you know, in, in you know, Mexican turf, basically. Mm-hmm. So, hey, white boys, what's up? Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this is one of one of our friends, he's kind of an older essay at that point, came out and he had a bat and he was like, hey, fuck off, Adam. And they're yeah. like, oh shit. He's like, see these woods right here? These are my woods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't fuck with them. That's hilarious. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? I'll take it. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, one of my friends was like, did he just call us, like, Woods? Like, we're Pekka Woods? I'm like, shut the fuck up. He's right. kidding. We're about to not get jumped because he called us that. Right. So, like, let's let it be. Right. But, you know, because of that, it's like I tended to, like, drift more to, like, you know, Hispanic comics and black comics mm-hmm. and shit like that. And, yeah. Like, the only white dude I was really fucking with at that age was uh, Carlin. Right. Yeah, right. I remember uh, watching, this must have been my freshman year of high school, one of his specials was on HBO, mm. and it's his newest one at the time, and that was the first time I remember going to school and talking to my friends and being like, yo, did you see that fucking George Carlin special mm-hmm. on HBO, and the ones that did being like, fuck yeah, and then like telling the jokes back and forth. Right. You know, with the, you know, that was the one where he was, uh, I can't remember the name of the special, but it's the one where he's, he's going on about how he hated um, the names that kids have now. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's like, hi, Todd, I'm Tucker, hi, Tucker, I'm yeah. Todd. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, what the fuck happened to old names like Mike and Bob right. and Ralph and right. you know you know that that and it's so funny because na- names will always be a thing yeah. just um I watched D.L. Hughley's new special yesterday mm-hmm. and uh, he he was basically saying you know um when you when you name your kids you gotta know what the name means you yeah. know he goes like my name's Daryl that means like chosen or something like that mm-hmm. he goes and my agent's name is gary he goes and that means whatever it means he goes 
And then, you know, uh, my nephew's name is Daquan, and that means not hired. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's uh, that that's always a, a ripe topic for that kind of shit. I just thought yeah. it was funny because it's fucking true as fuck. Yeah. Well, we're at that point where uh, names phase out and then come back. Mm-hmm. Now, my, you know, Mike is generally still a popular name. Yeah, Mike's always going to be. But it's not as popular as it used to be. Like when you look at like the lists every year of the of the most popular the most names. popular boy names. It yeah. used to be Michael every year. Yeah. So now it's gonna be like Caden or some yeah, shit. It was from like from like the fifties on until like the early two thousands. Like right. Michael was like the most common boy's name. Right. Which in in, you know, retrospect maybe I would have liked to have a more unique name. Right. But at the same time, Michael was my dad's middle name. Right. So that's why I and I was Catholic, so right. there's only like eight names we yeah. had to choose from. Apparently, it's, it's funny that you would say unique because in elementary school, like on Valentine's Day cards and shit, a lot of people would write my name as unique, mm-hmm. but with an E. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm familiar with all that shit. Yeah. You know, um, during the '90s, like you said, Carlin, dudes like that, but. Those specials were all, like, mostly filmed in theaters, yeah. you know? And I was, you know, acutely aware that it was really hard to fill up a theater with a band. Yeah. It seemed to me that it would be even more harder to, to yeah. get a theater full of people come to just to watch you talk. Yeah. Well, so I was like, eh. But... During that time, I also became aware of club comedy, which I was yeah. not aware of before. So there was a lot of dudes like Mitch Hedberg, dudes that you that you would see, and and the clips would be from clubs. Yeah, and that seemed a lot more um, attainable, attainable. <laughs> doable, you know. And I'm not even gonna front, dude. In the '90s, I was a Carlos Mencia fan. Okay. And I seen I've seen Carlos I seen Carlos Mencia like I think I've seen him four times now. Yeah. The last time I saw him was because somebody gave me tickets and I saw it as an experiment. Yeah. But the first few times that I seen him, you did that on purpose. I dug him and I laughed my ass off. I didn't know about stealing jokes yeah. or that that was even a thing. But um, I I first became aware of him. He had his half hour special on HBO or something. And he did this joke. And basically the joke was, um, I'll tone it down for our audience. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the joke was that he was in a car with a bunch of black dudes and the cops pulled him over. And the cops said, oh, you N-words, get out of that car right now. And so he just sat there laughing like, ah, you guys got to get out. I'm cool right here. La, 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 la. And then the cop said, you too, you're just a brown N-word, you know? <laughs> and so whatever, and I was like, wow, man, this is my fucking experience. Yeah. You know, this is like my life. Little did I know they weren't his jokes, but, but it was, it hit something. It and, was relatable. Yeah, and it was more relatable to me than like George Lopez. Yeah. Because George Lopez was very strictly Mexican, and I wasn't Mexican. Yeah. And... <clears throat> George Lopez was very L.A., and I was in L.A., yeah. so some of the stuff didn't, didn't, didn't really, translate. Yeah, and, and with Mencia, it was more, and what's funny, what's really, really funny, 
is that um, I had this joke about, you know, being Costa Rican mm -hmm. and how now it's cool. Everybody knows what Costa Rica is. A lot yeah. of people want to go there. You know, they got surfing and coffee and hookers and all kinds of good mm -hmm. shit, you know. <clears throat> but back then when I was a kid, nobody knew what Costa Rica was, you yeah. know. And so if I would tell people I was from Costa Rica, they'd be like, oh, well, what part of Mexico is that? <laughs> you know? And now, like, uh, last, <laughs> last year, because, you know, all through yeah. that time, Mencia was, like, playing it off like he was Mexican. Yeah. You know, come to find out when Rogan exposed all everything about yeah. him that he wasn't really Mexican at all. Yeah. And now, the last time that I saw him here, he did a joke about Ecuador and what part of Mexico is that? Yeah. And I was like, ah, fuck. You know, not that I'm saying he stole my joke, although my yeah. joke is on the internet and everything like that. Just like saying, oh, well, shit, now I see what, like, what kind of shit he was doing yeah. to, to, uh, to get kickstart his shit. Anyways, yeah. so that's what I was into it at the time. In the 90s. So really, like, the 90s were, for me, kind of a kind of a downtime for music, kind of a downtime for comedy, too. Well, they, if I was going to get to that, where, you know, the, you know the, the 90s were definitely a down period for comedy. And honestly, let's, let's be honest, um, it's never recovered. Right. Um, it's still in a down period. Yeah. I don't think it's ever going to be what it was. No. Um, and people have learned to adapt. And, you know, you have to figure out how to get ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. Like Dane Cook blew up in the MySpace age. Like mm -hmm. he was, you know, he got big. Master of marketing. Yeah, you know, from social media and this mm -hmm. and that when that was a thing. Right. Now it's like everybody has to have their social media accounts. Right. And to market themselves. But everybody has it. So nobody fucking. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, I have a Twitter. I don't use it. Yeah. Um, I have Instagram. I post some, you know, some shit on here. And hopefully maybe yeah. enough people see the right hashtag that they want to listen to our podcast. Right. Um, but. Yeah, I just use Twitter to troll the president and the chargers. <laughs> but that's about it. I mean, you're staying productive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everybody that, has to have a passion. Exactly. But, you know, that was the thing is where, you know, around that time that hair metal and everything was imploding it on itself, so too was stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And it was this it was kind of for the same fucking reasons. Yeah. You know, not that, you know, ever you had wild out of control like, you know, rock star comics that, you know, and everybody's like, fuck this. But right. it was the fact that it just got oversaturated with just tired hacky bullshit mm -hmm. and just these hack comics with nothing to fucking say mm -hmm. that you know and I, I don't want to get all up my own ass because I'm not out there like changing the fucking world when I'm on stage right I'm, but I'm talking about you know my life and right. my experiences and shit that real just, shit you know shit that's not so fucking generic that any person right. can say it right and that's what was getting you know that was the thing for a while like you see evening at the improv and it's mm -hmm. just these fucking whack ass yeah you know comics you know you have you know you have the standard you know, you know airplane food yeah, and airplane food yeah white people walk like this and black people walk like this <laughs> yeah. and white people do this like this and black yeah. people do this like this and it's like 
ha 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 right he's saying what everybody else is saying you know right. like nobody had a unique point of view and then the clubs and everything else like were propping that up yeah because and, if you actually if you actually delved into the yeah. topic of what black people actually do and what white people actually do they yeah. would be like whoa 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 yeah. easy don't go there yeah and it was like yeah because that's the thing now is some people i think still want that type of comedy because i see this a lot when you go especially in san diego mm-hmm. <clears throat> because you know it's it's a more conservative leaning california for california for yeah. california city so you know, up in L.A. or San Francisco, you can go up there and just rip on Trump all fucking day. Mm-hmm. And people will cheer you Love for it. it. You never know. No. But when you do a show here, and the thing is, at the same time, um, I really don't fucking like Trump. <laughs> right, right. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to not say what's on my mind. Yeah. For the sake of, oh, I don't want to offend some Trump lover in the audience. Like, right. fuck them. I really, honestly, I really don't give a fuck if right. they think I'm funny or not. If they thought I was funny right up until that moment and then they don't think I'm funny anymore, they can fucking suck my dick. Right. Like, they're fucking bitches at right. this point. Like, you fuck you, pussy. Like, Agreed. <laughs> you, were, you were having a good time when I was talking about, like, the zoo or some shit. But when I started, you know, when I hit you with some real shit out of nowhere, all of a sudden it's, oh, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't come here for this or that. What did you fucking come, what do you think you're coming here for? Right. And that's what pisses me off. On both ends, though, because, you know, there's too many people that they got offended by every fucking thing that happened in the show. And it's like, what'd you go to a fucking comedy club exactly. for, man? Like, what did you think was going to happen here? Yeah. That's yeah. like going to a heavy metal concert and complaining because it's loud. Yeah. Why, you know, why don't they turn it down a little bit? Yeah, you just know, a little. Shut the fuck up. Maybe yeah. you shouldn't be here. Yeah. Like, Bring like, earplugs. Yeah, well, the thing that's obnoxious to me, I'm getting on a tangent. This mm. doesn't have anything to do with the 90s, but you got me started now. That's cool. I love it. And none of the people I have a problem with are probably going to listen to this anyway. Right. But that fucking mindset, especially the uh, everything's offensive mindset, starts fucking leaking into the comics and start up. So now you got the fucking comedy police, a bunch of fucking kids that haven't ever fucking dealt with, like, any fucking adversity in their entire fucking life. A right. bunch of fucking middle-class white boys. Right, and they're going to make the rules. And, you know, they're the <laughs> ones who are like, oh, you can't say this and you can't say that. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, you know what's saying? You know, you know what nobody asked for? A fucking comedian that doesn't think anything's funny. Right. And that is what starts popping up. It's right. like everybody's like, oh, this guy's so offensive. This guy's so offensive. It's like, you're not fucking funny. Yeah. Fucking worry about your shit yeah. before you worry about other people's. Yeah. And I'm pretty tame. Yeah. All things considered. Like, I'm not up there, like, dropping end bombs on people right. or anything because I'm not a fucking racist at the right. same time. I'm a very liberal dude. But yeah. I'm liberal in the sense that Bill Maher is liberal. Yeah, see, that's where, the same as me, too. Where I'm going to fuck, I'm, I might say some shit yeah. every once in a while. If yeah. you get me going as it's, I am right now. But. I mean, liberal is all about allowing. Yeah. Right? So allow me to say what the fuck I want to say, you know? <laughs> well, that's in, the, that's in theory. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I will always give, you know, fuck it. At the same time, when people are like, oh, you can't say this, 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 mm-hmm. or this, or you can't try this, or don't say this, or fuck this guy it's like no you know what I am take your shot Mm -hmm. you know and if you fuck up and the audience didn't like it Mm -hmm. that's on you at that point exactly and you know what and that's my censorship right there my my censorship is that I'm not gonna come 
I'm not going to come into a uh, bar in El Cajon or something with 10 minutes of Trump on my mind. Yeah. Because if the first minute doesn't fucking go well, I don't have nowhere to go from there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, that's just a bad idea. That doesn't mean that at some point I might not say, you know what, and by the way, fuck Trump. But anyways, they but go you, on to you something know else. funny to me? Um, back when uh, I used to uh, co-host the open mic at Shooters in Spring Valley. Which is coming back, by the way. Uh, Shooters is coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Alan hit me up to do a spot there, and I had to be like, hey, man, uh, I don't really go out to Spring Valley very often anymore. I live up in Claremont. Like, it's too much of a hassle for me mm-hmm. to get down there. Mm-hmm. But he's he wants to fucking run a show out of there, knock yourself out. Hopefully it works for him. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, me and Booblets were smart enough to keep it at an open mic and not pretend it was a thing. But, right. Um, I still remember uh, I'm sitting outside with... Uh, Jordan Parker, a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. he's a very political in mm-hmm. his comedy, mm-hmm. and he's smart not, guy. Yeah, and he's not shy about the fact that he's not particularly conservative. And this gal walks up to us, and he's going over his notes, and I'm smoking a cigarette, and we're talking, and she goes, "I hope you guys say a bunch of shit about black people tonight." And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. What? Wait, what? Yeah. And Jordan looks at her and she's like, I'm not racist, but like, I really hate President Obama right now. So like, if you could just like, say some shit about black people, that would be cool. Okay. And then he's just like, he looks at his notes and looks at her. You're going to hate everything I did today. (laughs) (laughs) But... It was such a bizarre thing, and I'm sorry we're on a, such a side tangent, but that was so funny to me. The, the fact that, she, okay, whatever, you don't like Obama, that's fine. I still don't know how that translates into say some real racist shit about yeah. all black people. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I've had a couple of fucking exes that I really dislike, but I never went like, you know what? My ex was a bitch. Let me tell you about why I hate all women. Right. You know, let me tell you why you're all cunts. Right. <laughs> but you know what though? But that is a thing. Oh, I know that's that, a thing. You know, I know that's a thing, and it's fucking, it's fucking weak ass dudes that you know they probably had more to do with their relationship oh, problems sure. that they want to that they want to let on. And I'm not perfect, but I had a, comp- I legitimately had a psychopathic ex that was like when I was telling a friend about her because this came up on Facebook not that long ago. Um, she was like, she sounded like she legitimately had like borderline personality disorder and she sounded terrifying. Right. And I have to tell people, it's like, you know, I didn't talk about it very much at all for a while with people because like I had to come to terms with the fact, like the more I broke it down, like Mm -hmm. I was in denial about it. Then I started thinking, I'm like, holy shit. I was legitimately in an abusive relationship. Right. And I was the abused party. Right. Because it wasn't like, and it was like the fact that she was like verbally abusive constantly. Like we Uh lived together and she just got meaner and meaner out of nowhere and would just say horrible fucking things (laughs) all the fucking time. Right. And like I still remember um, I'm doing like dishes and I drop a glass Uh and um, she flips the fuck out. Okay. You know, because I, I'm doing dishes at Sophie. Sometimes you drop a glass and it right. breaks. And she's 
freaking out and calling me retarded and all right. this shit. And then not only does she do that, but she's like, you're fucking retarded. You know what? You know why you're fucking retarded? You're retarded because your dad used to fucking do drugs and shit like that. Oh, wow. And I remember this because she was going off because now we didn't have a matching set of glasses anymore. Now there's... Now they're uneven, and I still remember this. My my moment where I, you know, because I dropped one of the big ones, Mm -hmm. so now we have eight small ones and seven big ones. So I picked up one of the small ones, and I just held it in the air in Mm -hmm. the middle of the kitchen. I was like, you want me to break this shit so it fucking matches? Mm -hmm. No? And shut the fuck up, you know? Like that kind of thing. And it's like, and you know, it was... And I, man, I got out of that, and she would, like, do shit. Like, she got mad at me, and I she, like fucking kick me full blast in the head at one point and right. like so I got out of that and like I'm not not once was I like I bet all women are like that yeah <laughs> you no. know right. and it's funny because this came up because a friend of mine posted a thing about like you know somewhere right now your your crazy ex is telling everybody that you're the toxic one. Oh, for sure and I made a comment I was like oh I know for a fact that my ex told everybody I abused her yeah and some gal jumped in and was like with a, a, a quote from Louis C.K. It's like um, when someone says that you hurt them, you don't get to tell them that you didn't. Right. And it's like this bitch completely missed the point that I was talking about the fact that I had a, a horrible, psychotic, abusive ex-girlfriend. Right. That as part of her abusive cycle told everybody she was abused. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like. And so she's like, I'm an asshole. And I'm just like, well, uh, she's like, that that was a little bit of sarcasm. I should hope so because like, she was actually like super abusive. And she's right. like, I highly doubt that if she was the one that broke things off with you. She's like, right. but I'm not going to say anymore. I'm going to let you figure out what went wrong. Right. And I'm like, I just sat here and I'm like. Thinking, well, this bitch is a psycho bitch too. Yeah, it's like, well, she just <laughs> basically just told me um, in all but said. You probably did abuse her. Right. Like that kind of shit. But we're on a tangent But what's funny, (laughs) what's funny about that is that, like, if you wanted to, you could make that shit funny. But you would have to, like, you would have to just talk about the specific incidents. Oh, yeah, no, no. And not in in generally demonize her. Yeah, right? no. What I did, I, I had bits about it. I don't do them anymore, but I have them recorded. They're on YouTube, mm-hmm. but I had a whole riff on her. Right. And about how, like, um, the worst argument I ever got in with an ex girlfriend mm-hmm. was over uh, when she asked if I wanted to have a three way. Right. And then the whole thing was like, oh, yeah, like, uh, Guys, you know, when you hear that, your girl is like, oh, your girlfriend wanted to have a threesome? That sounds cool. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's the gross The one. wrong kind. Yeah. It's the devil's <laughs> triangle. And, and this legitimately happened. This, yeah. We had a huge fight over it. And I quoted her exactly because I'm not this good of a writer. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the, the joke at the end was the fact that when I said no, she was like, this is bullshit. Um. We always do what you want to do. (laughs) When I want to do something, you say no. Right. And I was like, when I want to do something, it's like, maybe we should play miniature golf today. Yeah. When you want to do something, apparently it's like, maybe I should suck off a stranger in front of you. Yeah. How, in her fucked mind. It's the same thing. It was the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah. we're, we're getting on a huge tangent that we might have to cut there. Right. But it felt good to vent. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you know, the same thing, the same thing applies, like, f- for me, and I've learned to navigate it now. Because, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because, you know, you know I'm not a fan of police, right? Not really. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I do jokes about it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I, is that I used to do jokes where you could, like, kind of sense my actual anger, you know? And it often didn't go over well. Yeah. Either somebody, there could be police in the audience, or yeah. somebody whose brother's a cop, yeah. whatever it is, you know? And and they're just like, you know, it, you're, too, you're too down on the cops, and it sounds too serious. Oh, I yeah. can't laugh. It's not, you know, yeah, when you listen to NWA, it's not right. like, fuck the police. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good yeah. joke, NWA. Exactly. No, it's like you really feel that. Right. So <laughs> now I make it about me. Mm-hmm. Just about, like, the police are there. Yeah. But they're not central. Yeah. They're just, like, they're kind of like the Charlie Brown adults that wah, 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 yeah. wah, and, you know, but they're fucking with me. Yeah. And that way... Everybody can laugh. Yeah. Like you can either laugh with me because you or know what the fuck, or at me because yeah. you're like, ah, yeah, the cops fuck with you. Of course yeah. they do. You know. So yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things that you have to learn to navigate. Yeah. But definitely, um, definitely, something that evolved for me because at first I didn't get it. At first I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't able to make it funny for everyone. Yeah. Only for certain people who had also gotten fucked with yeah. the police who, as much as I don't like police, I have to admit that it is a small percentage of people yeah. that have actually gotten fucked with. You yeah. Know, so. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not the majority of cops are bad cops. No. But it's enough that I don't particularly trust them and I'm right. a fucking white dude. Like, yeah. Like, I, well, that's that was the downside of growing up in like La Presa was... Uh, Sometimes I forget oh, <laughs> that yeah. I have white privilege in a way because, like, when uh, I was rolling with a friend of mine, we're going up to Disneyland or something, and she mm-hmm. got pulled over, mm-hmm. and um, she was all chatty with the cop, and she's Mexican, mm-hmm. and you know, she's, oh, I'm so sorry, and this and that, and, 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 and I right. spent the whole time with my hands on the dash, just yeah. looking straight ahead, yeah. and the thing is, he's talking from my window, right. So he, he's around the passenger side and because of where we had to pull over at. And I'm like, just let him talk across me. Mm-hmm. I didn't fucking look at him the whole time. Mm-hmm. I didn't, and it's like, I could have. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Probably. But, you know, um, he wasn't a white cop either. Not that that matters mm-hmm. half the time. Because it seems like the the non white ones yeah. fuck with the minorities even more because yeah. they feel like they got to get their brownie points. And, kind of, kind of. Back to na- the nineties and comedy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna have a fun time uh, sitting down and going like, "What? How much of this?" I'm tangent, just gonna let it fly. How much of this tangent are we letting stay in? Um, the nineties. You're gonna cut it out. Just cut it down to just where it sounds like I'm saying all women are cunts or something. Right. Now, <laughs> one of the only dudes that's listed here from the '90s that's current in a mm-hmm. sense is uh, Dave Chappelle. Oh, yeah. Dave it's, Chappelle went away, and now he's back. It's funny because when I th- when I think of Dave Chappelle, 
I don't think of the 90s. I think of Chappelle show and stuff like that. Right. Because that's when he blew up. But he right. was also in, you know, fucking Half-Baked. Yeah. He was in uh, um, Con Air. Yeah. With uh, Nicolas Cage. Like oh, yeah. That. And he had comedy specials in the 90s that I enjoyed. For sure. You know, I dug him in the 90s. He was one of those comics that I, I dug back then. Right. I didn't know him as well. Um, I think during the 90s, after that whole, like, hack mm-hmm. fucking collapsed in on itself, mm-hmm. it helped in the sense that the comics that came out of that, that survived that, were really fucking good comics. Mm-hmm. Like, they were, they were the ones that really had a different point of view. Yeah. And, and you... like, I, I really, really liked uh, Laura Keitlinger. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she had that one. I remember she to had that point, one joke to the point where I, it's probably the same joke yeah. I'm saying. I accidentally, when I first started comedy, accidentally hacked that fucking bit. That the, it's, the, it's the, you're so big, you're so big. <laughs> um, I joke, but the joke was I because I remember telling to my friend I'm like, "Does this sound familiar yeah. to you?" And yeah. he's like, "No, I don't know it." Yeah. You know. So I was telling this for a while, and then it's actually someone I think Cody Morley or something had posted. Uh, Laura Keitlinger thing like he said he met her at the the store or something like mm-hmm. that and he was like he was awestruck because it was one of her fa- his favorite comics of the 90s yeah. and then you were like posted the you're so big yeah. thing and I was like I fucking knew yeah. I knew that from somewhere but right. it was me it was talking about like because when you first start comedy all you're talking about is your dick and shit pretty like much that. so I my bit was about um, how uh, like it, I let off with the, the first joke I ever wrote for stand up it's funny because it's one of the few ones that I could actually fit in a meme because it was so quick. It was yeah. just, um, but the longer form of it was I, re- I started realizing I had a problem uh, with porn when I realized I had pet peeves yeah. about porn. <laughs> yeah. When I started having shit I nitpicked. Yeah. And uh, like socks. Yeah. Or a hat. <laughs> well, that was the bit was I said the joke was like uh, my number one pet peeve. Is when a guy is wearing a hat. Yeah. Because I was raised that a gentleman takes his hat off in <laughs> right. the presence of a lady. Yeah. And then I was saying, you know, um, and then I would say, you know, that's the thing is like, you know, you get some of these girls that, you know, they want you to dirty talk and shit like that. Right. And I was saying, you know, the whole problem is, is um, the only dirty talk I know is from porn. Right. And I always fast forward when it's fucking focused on the dude. Yeah. So I'm like fucking a chick and being like, oh my God, you're so big. (laughs) And then like, it's like, yeah, fucking give it to me. Like that kind of shit. (laughs) And then you mentioned that I was like, like that was my closer when I first started. And it just was like, that's a Laura Keitlinger bit. It's reworded, but it's fucking close enough. And I I immediately discarded it. Right. Good. But that was like, you know, that that's the kind of thing, but it was one of those those joke bombs set in the back of my fucking head. Yeah, where I absorbed so much, it because I you know I started getting into stand up when I was a teenager, I didn't get on stage till I was thirty two. Right, you know. Right. So you there's all this osmosis, and you know you, when you first start, you're just kind of an amalgam of your favorite comics. Right. And, like, my speech pattern was very Louis C.K.-ish. Right. And then apparently I was just telling Laura Keitlinger jokes. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, that's another thing with, with um, 
with uh, telling jokes before you were telling jokes. You know, when <clears throat> in the 90s, when, uh, you know, like I said, you know, band practice, we'd have like porn playing in the background, <laughs> we're tweaking, you know. <clears throat> and I used to have this one thing that I used to like to say, and people like almost never laughed because it was just uncomfortable, I guess, or something. But you're watching porn and you're like, you know, the chick's fucking getting fucking rat packed, you know, <laughs> you, get, you know, get fucked in the ass, whatever it is. And I would just be like, I would just like look at somebody who's what, like watching it and wait for them to look at me and I'd be like, she must really love him. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But, um, I would have laughed. <laughs> now, in closing, because we're, we're like running over. One thing that I also became aware of in the 90s that I was not aware of before that was the idea, and it's kind of all embodied in, like, Dave Attell, of a comics comic. Yeah. You know, comics that other comics like. Yeah. You know, and so I became aware of, like, Dave Attell, Dom Herrera, dudes yeah. like that that I, that I liked. Mm-hmm. But, but I could tell that they were doing something a little bit different. Yeah. You know? And they were, and it seemed kind of more like they were just talking, because I never had, you know, some people say that they had the idea that, oh, this guy just gets up there and talks and he's just funny. Yeah. I never had that idea. I always knew it was an act. I always knew it was worked on. Yeah. So when dudes like that came around, like David Tell, where it really seems like he's just talking to you. Yeah. That was kind of amazing, you know. And um, and I think that was something that started in the '90s, and it, yeah. and so, and so in that way, it was cool because it kind of helped me form. Yeah, you know. Well, I that's really it helped anybody who's doing it now. Um, they're doing it because of the '90s yeah. or the 2000s. They're not doing it because of the '80s. Yeah, like bec- that you know. You get some of those guys that have been around since the 80s or they pop right. back up and they do that hacky ass shit and right. you're just like, get the fuck out of here, old man. Like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a specific comic that he's like that and, you know, fuck it. You know, nobody's listening. To it. I, don't, I don't think Maury Sherman's going to know that I'm talking about. <laughs> right, okay. But he was that guy where he would talk about um, when he used to do stand up. But he did it in the 90s, but it was like that time, right around the time it all caved in on itself. Yeah. So he'd talk about how great this the comedy scene used to be. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh yeah, back you know back back when I was doing it in the '90s, you know, you just walked into a club and be like, hey, can I get like ten minutes?' And they paid you and this and that.' Yeah. It's like, yeah. He's like, it's not like that anymore. And I'm like, yeah, sure because ain't. you motherfuckers killed the golden goose. Yeah, y'all fucking hacky dudes made a whole bunch of money and burnt it down burnt on it their down. way on their way out, and now it's. Where you know all the people that came after that, right? You gotta fucking love it, yeah. To just keep at it, and I don't get on stage as much as I used to, and I fucking need to fix that. But it's like that, pa- you know. It doesn't change the fact that it's like that's something I'm passionate about and right. I love, and I don't think a lot of those guys from back in that earlier era. I don't think they loved it. I think you had guys like, you know, well, I mean, like, the guys that came before, like Carlin and shit like that, like, those were, like, the trailblazers, and they loved it, and they had a passion, and they had a talent, and then 
it gave way to all these dudes that you know just talk about airline food and shit. Right. I don't think they had a particular love yeah. for the for the craft. Right. And then they got you know they burnt it down and then. And then, they get all bent because the comics that came afterwards don't yeah. really give them respect. Right. And it's like, well, you, you fucking sucked. Right. Like, you know, or they made it some other way and now they're on some fireman show or something. Yeah. Or, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like our friend uh, Ryan Shores says, the thing he hates is the, the older, the middle-aged comic that gets into it late and then thinks that they're entitled to some form of success. Right. And it's just like, you're a retiree or some shit like that. Right. You made your choice a long time ago. And you gotta live with it. You know, you made your choice. You went the career, you went the family, Mm -hmm. you had the safe route, and then Mm -hmm. when you got towards the end of that, you go, you know, I I never got on stage. I wish I did that. And this is your bucket list. Right. And that's fine. And for me, it was like, so you want to be a rock star? Yeah. Well, same for me. I wanted to be a fucking rock star. And, you know, I, but, um, but then they, they get into it now and, um, they're, you know, when you're like pushing 60 and just starting a comedy, Mm -hmm. you're not, it's, it's not going to fucking work. You know, you, it's one thing if you're 60 and you've been doing it since you're 20 right. or some shit like you've put in all those years yeah. and you've you've developed your craft or you're starting like you're gonna suck right. you know people suck when they're new generally right. yeah you suck. can yeah but you can also hit the lotto yeah you know so that's the, yeah. about the same but yeah they reasonably odds yeah but these guys know? like that they they come in and they don't want to um they don't want. They also don't want to put in the work, right? Because they decided they wanted to be famous at comedy. Like they decided this is what they're going to do in their the last part of their life. It's like I'm going right. to be a famous comedian, and then when it's like, how do I get to your level? Because Ryan will talk about that a lot with uh, this specific comic, Maury, uh, <laughs> and the fact that he'll be like. Oh, you're working the road and you're doing this and this. How do I do that? And yeah. Ryan's like, well, I ground out a lot of fucking open mics and then I ground out a lot of shitty bar shows and then I made a few contacts and it's like I've done this for almost 10 years. Like, yeah. that's how I got these gigs. He's right. Like, and he's just like, I don't have time for any of that. What's yeah. the shortcut? It's like, there's, there's no shortcut. If there's a shortcut you'd, and he knew it, don't you think he would have fucking taken it? Yeah. What, he fucking work his ass off in dive bars because he enjoyed the atmosphere. Right. Like, no, it's you fucking, that's, you put in your reps and that's it. Yeah. And these guys that, you know, they came from an era where they saw it, like these guys, right. they kind of didn't have to work as hard right. at that time period. The clubs were more than willing to give all these people so much time and pay them and this and that. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, it was, it became a fad thing. Yeah. So it was the popular thing to do was to go to the comedy club. Right. And, you know, it was on TV all the time, and then that all went away, and yeah. now the people going out to the clubs, like, they actually like comedy. Yeah. Also, too, back then, you could have, you could have like, a, a, a moment, and if you hit a home run in that moment, mm-hmm. you could ride that fucking home run for the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. You know, that's not the case anymore. No. You better, if you were funny... Today, you better fucking be funny again next week. Yeah. Because nobody gives a fuck what you did last week. No, it's very true. And we're all, the thing is, we're all our own biggest critics, too. Hopefully. For me, like, any, (laughs) it's funny because when I have a, 
my thought my thought process after a really good show or after a really bad one mm-hmm. is nearly identical and I need to fucking probably fix that part of my psyche because right. when I bomb I'm like this is it this right. is it I fucking ran out of funny like yeah. I'm, I'm not good anymore yeah. for whatever reason like I hit my wall and I'm not I'm not good anymore like I suck this didn't go well right but then I'll have those shows where I fucking crush yeah. and then I go like what if I'm never this funny again? Yeah. Like, what if this is it? Like, what if this is my peak and I never fucking recapture that energy? Yeah. Well, you know what? The, <laughs> you know what the funny thing is because much like you, I'm 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 largely criticized for not grinding enough and not getting on stage enough and all that type of shit. But lately, I've been getting on more, and I've realized that the thing about getting on more isn't necessarily that you're going to be better. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm better than I was really last year. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, not appreciably anyway. Yeah. But now I have a higher comfort level. Yeah. And I know that some of it's me, but some of it's not me. You yeah. know, because I did the same set at the Madhouse on Sunday that I did at the palace last night mm-hmm. and it went a hell of a lot better at the madhouse on Sunday yeah. than it did last night because of the day of the week because of the room because I was went up late on that one and early yeah. on this one there's a lot of you know there's a lot of factors right and the more often you get up the more you recognize that it, it sometimes isn't you yeah sometimes it is sometimes you just suck and that's yeah. okay too but sometimes it has to do with other things. And, and and I'm not of the, you know, some people say, man, you know what? You should crush every room, every time. And if you're not at that level, then you need to work till you get to that level. And I'm like, yeah, man. I Nobody's that level. Yeah, I don't think anybody's Like that even level. fucking top, 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 top dogs fucking yeah. bomb every once yeah. in a while. And sometimes get booed off the fucking stage. Yeah. Like no, yeah, yeah. nobody has a 100% yeah. success rate. Like I'm. I'm lucky in the sense that um, I'm at that point, I've been doing it for six years now, where my bombs, what I consider, like I had a shit set, Mm -hmm. are better than a lot of people's like best ones sometimes. Oh, yeah. I've had those ones where it was uneven and I didn't like how well I did, but I'd also have like huge laughs in there. Right. And it's like, yeah. And you did well compared to the other people on the yeah. lineup, but still that's not good enough. That's yeah. good. That's good, though. That's a good but place it's to be. Like, and I've had those times where, um, you know, I've just completely knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, people cracked on it because I did a couple of the Dat Fan shows at the comedy right. store. Right, You got to sell tickets. I sold just enough to get a nice, comfortable spot on the lineup. Mm-hmm. But the plus side to this was... By doing the show, I sold about 20 tickets each time. Mm-hmm. Um, I they, He slotted me in after a solid spot. Like what Dad usually would do is he has his people that he books all the time just to... He knows he's booking a lot of bringer comics and that they're probably not going to be that good. So he, so he, he, has, a, he has quality control guys he yeah, brings in. Like every he, other comic will be good. And he would... Well, it's more like every three. Okay. But, 
But what he did is both times he would slot me after uh, Tony Calabrese. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a local pro pro type of guy. And he crushes generally Mm -hmm. in these situations. And he'd slot me right after him. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it was like, you know, okay, I did a bringer show. I sold tickets to be on this show. Mm -hmm. Like, he wasn't going to bump me if I didn't sell tickets. Right. But I'd have went up first or something. Right. That gives me the opportunity to perform in front of a completely packed audience at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Right. So the room was full. And I saw, right, yeah, Tony went up, he did his thing, he fucking killed it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's he he's one of those guys that it's very, very generalized right. comedy. Like, yeah. he's, he's not going to offend anybody, but he did really, really well. Right. And he was like, oh, man, the next guy that goes up after me has to work now. And I just I'm went like, up, and I was like, bam! Fucking, yeah. Like, it was like a grand slam. Right. Like, I, like it was the loudest. Right response I've ever gotten from a crowd and he even came up to me like I was I went back to the bar and afterwards I was having my drink and he just like walked up and shook my hand he was like I thought the next dude up was gonna have a hard time right and you killed it harder than I did and I'm like and the thing is is you know when those I don't like to toot my own horn that much but it's the people that I hate are the ones that are like I don't want to follow a crush right they would rather follow someone bombing yeah. than crushing and it's like not me fuck no dude not like me it's like you have to realize I want you to do well before me yeah well that's the thing is like when you follow someone that completely kills it mm. the audience is in a fucking good place right, right. now yeah so it's they're like, ready to keep going you're all you gotta do is catch that wave yeah and if you don't know how to catch that wave then you fucking suck like if you can bring down a room after a crush like you always see them be like, oh, well, you know, they they had to regather their energy. Yeah, yeah, No, yeah. yeah, fuck, nah, fuck that. You ride that. You do, It's the easiest little thing. You just go, like, give it up for so-and-so that went up before me. And they're like, yeah, yeah. because they really like them. So yeah. by proxy, right. you like them. Maybe we like you. Right. And we want to like you. And, right. you know, it's when people are eating a dick left and right and the crowd's all in a badass Ugh. mood. They're like, everybody's a, everybody fucking sucks. Yeah. And then you go up. And you gotta like dig out of this hole that other people dug for you. Right. Yeah, it's bullshit. And I've done that before too, where it was funny. I did it at a room where um, for some reason nobody was clicking early on. And everybody's going back, going like, man, this is a rough crowd tonight, Castleberry, watch out. Mm-hmm. And then I went on and it was immediately, bam, like my first joke hit. Mm hmm. And it was like, I don't know if maybe they were simmering a bit, but like, I don't know what it was about my pr- stage presence that day or what, but it got him into the show right. and clicked. And I don't know if it's because I was doing a thing or I would usually do this at a room like that where as I'm waiting to go up, I'm kind of observing and I'm looking at what's going on. Mm-hmm. And um, so I make a joke based on that. Mm-hmm. And that means I'm in the moment with them that mm-hmm. kind of gives them a little bit of yeah. a moment of the, they might have noticed the same thing yeah well it's like it was at uh, the Riviera Supper Club the turquoise room uh-huh. and uh, so I made a crack about the fact that you know the turquoise room um, most of the lighting was red <laughs> so I was like I was like hey man and thanks for all coming out to watch comedy at the uh, oddly red turquoise room yeah. 
And then I was like, the owner's colorblind. We don't tell him. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the crowd laughed at that. And yeah. then I was just on a roll from there. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I don't know, we've got on a weird tangents today. Yeah, we're way past time. Yeah, we're, everybody's going to get bored. This is why we don't talk about comedy on the show. We need to stick to metal. Anyways, <laughs> so this was our episode on the 90s. Metal and comedy. Hopefully and, you like both parts of it. And a lot but of other weird like shit. if you just like one and you want to turn it off, that's all right. Uh, and now you know a lot more about Castleberry's thought processes of comedy. And I agree with most of that shit. But we're going to leave it right there. So until the next one, this is Big Frog and... And I'm over here ODing on heroin, Mike Castleberry. All right. (laughs) Until the next one, hit the light, and we're out.